This is Reimagine Law, a podcast about legal education and careers to help students navigate their career choices. Welcome to Reimagine Law. In this episode, we're going to be looking at the solicitor's qualifying examination, the new examination being brought in to qualify as a solicitor in England and Wales. And I'm delighted to be joined today by Lisa Slater and Liz Ritter. So first of all, Lisa and Liz, uh, I'll let you say a few introductory words about yourself. Lisa, should I come to you first? Yes, thanks so much for having me today, Nigel. Um, so yes, my name is Lisa Slater and I am the commercial director for AMAZE Consulting. I've been helping a wide range of law firms prepare their infrastructure for the SQE over the last few years, really working out what their strategy and approach should be. And I'm really enjoying working in this space. So um, as I said, delighted to be a guest speaker um, today. Wonderful. And, and Liz, yourself, lovely to have you with us. We've known each other for quite a while, but uh, Liz, I'll let you introduce yourself too. We have. Thanks, Nigel. And, and thank you as well for inviting me to join you today. So my name is Liz Ritter. I'm head of business development at BPP Law School. So really, as part of my role, I have lots of conversations virtually every day of the week with all different law firms and other organisations thinking about how they develop their early talent and adapting to these new pathways to qualification that we're seeing coming in at the moment. Yeah. And, and I think it's going to be a really practical, helpful ep- episode today, because as you just hinted at there, Liz, all these new pathways coming in. So I think for people thinking about a career in law, our listeners who are thinking, well, how do I get started? What's this new thing I've heard about? That's really our goal today, to demystify that a little bit. Um, so Lisa, should I, should I come to you first? And let's just kick off and think about what is this thing called the Solicitor Qualifying Examination or the SQE? And why is this change happening? Okay, Um, thanks, Nigel. Well, I think it's best if I try and tackle this question off in two. So taking what is the SQE first off, the Solicitor's Qualifying Examination or SQE, how we know um, we now tend to refer to it in shorts. It's a two part exam that all aspiring solicitors will take before qualifying as a solicitor in England and Wales. So it replaces the current LPC and PSC entirely. So that instead of an SRA regulated course regime, there is now a centralized assessment with no regulation of training whatsoever. So this came into force on 1st of September this year. So really hot off the press. Firms do have a number of years to transition across. So in order to qualify, individuals now need to satisfy the following criteria, which I'll read out to you now. They have to have a degree in any subject or equivalent qualification or work experience pass both stages of the SQE assessment, SQE1 focusing on functional legal knowledge and SQE2 on practical legal skills. Liz will cover this shortly. They also have to complete two years full-time or equivalent QWE and finally passes the Solicitor Regulation Authorities or SRA for short, um, the character and suitability requirements. Liz, can we just, and, and just to, just for our listeners, I'm just thinking, because as you say, there's a major shift which you hinted at just there. So just to just clarify that for, for the listeners, as you say, the way it used to work, if you think about it, is along the pathway, there were all these steps that you almost had to do that they were prescribed. So what the shift is, in, instead of prescribing all the steps, what the regulatory body, the SRA is now saying is, do you know what? We don't actually mind the steps you take, but what we're going to do is put at the end of the pathway a test. And that's what we care about now. So in a way, it's all around 
this point of shifting from prescribing what your all the elements you need to train and then do along the way to actually shifting that to almost an emphasis more towards the end. Is, is that right? Just to summarise for our listeners at the beginning. That's right. There are certain building blocks that anybody who wants to qualify as a solicitor has to uh, has to go through. Um, those building building blocks include that two years of qualifying work experience or QWE, um, as Lisa said before. Uh, but um, really, the test of competence, as far as the SRA is concerned, uh, is passing those two sets uh, of assessments that uh, that Lisa just outlined in brief before. Lisa, was there anything add just to add just at the very beginning there before we look in a bit more depth? Um, well, it was just the second part of the question: why the change? If 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 the listeners may be interested in hearing a, li- a little bit more of um, um, the histology behind it, um, so well the after a nine year period of consultation, I'm sure you'll recall that um, period, Nigel. In 2017, it was agreed to change the way solicitors qualify. And there were two real me- two main reasons for that. So firstly, due to the importance of high qualification standards, really to ensure consumer confidence. The SRA's role is to make sure that both the public and employers can trust that anyone entering the solicitor's profession is competent and really fit to practice. So this was the first reason um, that spurred on the change. And secondly, the current system of qualification with multiple courses, examinations, means, it was really difficult to have full confidence that qualifying solicitors are meeting that same high benchmark. So that was the second real reason for the change, which I thought might be useful to share. Got it, thank you. And um, that would be great, Liz, actually, as you say, perhaps we'd do a deeper dive because Lisa mentioned there, and I think you did as well, that there are two parts this, the what's called SQE1 and then SQE2. Should we go there, Liz, and have have a bit of a think about those? Absolutely. Thank you, Nigel. So let's start off with SQE1 in that case. So SQE1 is an assessment of what the SRA says is functioning legal knowledge. So if we think about the law degree at the moment, currently the law degree is there to test your knowledge of foundational legal principles. Uh, For example, things like contract law or the law of tort or land law, for example. And then, uh, uh, and for non-law graduates, they will undertake that same study as part of a conversion course. Um, And then those students go on to the legal practice course, which is intended to test your knowledge of the practice of law. For example, what are the steps that you need to take to buy and sell property? Or what's the process that you have to go through to buy a company or to take a case through the civil courts? Now, what uh, what the SQE is intended to do is really to test your knowledge of all of those areas of law and practice. So what we've got is a huge breadth of knowledge that's being tested in SQE1. Some people have called SQE the super exam because really it does cover a lot of content. Now, the way in which it's tested is in two very long multiple choice assessments. So there are two papers. Each paper is over five hours long with 180 questions that are going to jump around from topic to topic across the entire curriculum. Each of those 180 questions will give candidates a a short fact pattern and five possible answers. And you're gonna need to apply your knowledge to identify what is the single best answer to the question. Now, the first SQE1 did take place a few weeks ago. 
just over a thousand people took that exam and really as many of us expected the feedback is that it actually really was very challenging i think the style of assessment as well as the content the breadth of content means that it really is a very difficult exam that people are going to have to pass and, and i guess liz as we're just thinking about that you know one thing you've just mentioned there which is interesting as you say is the type of assessment and the fact of it being this very in-depth multiple choice approach so so i guess liz there's something there for for students um, and future solicitors to get used to in terms of the style of thing they'll have to be really good at as well, as well. I guess, obviously you can practice all these things, but that is, that is quite different from, from what, what we uh, future solicitors have been doing, I guess. Absolutely, it's a really different way um, of being yeah. assessed. So it's uh, making sure that that knowledge is really deeply embedded so that you can approach these assessments with with yeah. confidence being able to sort of pick out all of that information that's in your brain to be able to answer these different types of questions that really hop around from topic to topic mm. to topic so mm. um I, I think for all of those reasons it is a challenging set of assessments yeah very interesting and very broad as you said mm -hmm. yeah should we go on now then so let's so there's the, almost a depth of and breadth of knowledge there and then there's sqe2 liz tell us about that so sqe2 is an assessment of legal skills but it's actually also an assessment of knowledge again as well. So the assessments are based on six core skills um, that are really important in practice. So four of those are written skills, and those are legal research, drafting, legal writing, and case and matter analysis. And two of them are oral skills, and that's client interviewing and advocacy. So candidates will need to demonstrate those practical skills in a series of tasks, so 16 tasks in total, and those tasks will require candidates to apply their knowledge of law and practice. And if I can just give a very brief example, um, let's take the skill of legal writing. So legal writing might be assessed in the context of a property matter. So one of the examples that the SRA has given in their sample questions um, is uh, you receive some instructions from a client uh, and uh, that client is in the process of buying uh, a house uh, and then the client tells you that actually they can't go ahead with completion and you're instructed in that case to write a letter to the client outlining the legal implications and the practical consequences as well of not going ahead with the property purchase. So you can see there that you're demonstrating the skill of being able to communicate really clearly yeah, in writing, but you've also got to apply your knowledge that you have of the legal consequences of not going ahead with completion of property. So it's both, as you say, it's, it's the skill absolutely. as well as the knowledge. Yeah, 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 absolutely. And just as a final point, um, in terms of the order in which you take these assessments, the SRA says that you must pass SQE1 before you're able to book onto SQE2, but otherwise you can take SQE2 at any point in time. So you can take it before or during or at the end of a period of work-based training. Okay, thank you. That's really, really helpful and really clear. Okay, so those two main blocks of, of the curriculum there and, and the examinations. Um, Lisa, should we should we move on something we've, we've mentioned in passing already, um, Lisa, is this period of work experience, which of course used to be, for, for many people who became solicitors, used to be uh, traineeships of two years of being a trainee. I know we've got apprenticeships now as well, so there are different ways of doing that, that period of work experience. What does this, what does this um, phrase qualifying work experience mean in, in the context of SQE? 
Sure. I won't dwell on this aspect too much because one of the hosts of Re Reimagine Law, Fran Rideout, will be running a podcast on this very subject um, imminently, but it certainly seems sure. timely mm. to, um, to give it a little bit of airtime. So in order to qualify as a solicitor in England and Wales, all individuals will need to complete at least two years full-time or equivalent qualifying work experience or QWE, um, which is now very, very commonly known. This is in effect then, as you said, the work experience part akin to a training contract of qualifying as a solicitor. So unlike the training contract, there is no requirement for QWE to be completed within one firm nor for it to be called a training contract. Although in reality, most firms I speak to, Nigel, um, are likely to, um, to retain- And, and in a similar format, term. do you think, Lisa, is that the, that the way that they're looking at it? At the moment, the okay. jury is out, I would say, um, on, that, on that point. Um, firms are taking that step back and trying to embrace the spirit of the, the, um, the SQE. Um, and really trying to think through what is the best model for their particular practice. Um, so I thought it would be useful just to share with the listeners today where the work experience can be, um, can be obtained. So it can be paid or volunteer work experience and could include time spent on vacation placements during a degree, for example, working in a law clinic, at a voluntary or charitable organisation such as Citizen Advice or a law clinic um, or law centre, working as a paralegal and finally on a traditional training contract. So this marks, as you've already mentioned and Liz also, a significant change to what we've all been used to with the old regime and for me marks a huge opportunity for individuals who may never have thought it possible to gain qualification. So there's that opportunity to include more different types of work experience where we could say. And so there we are. So thank you, Lisa, for this. So we have, there's the blocks of the exams. We've got SQE1, SQE2, there's the work experience. And you mentioned the ethics as well as, as we went along and passing that test. Now, if we just move on a bit. Now, whenever there's a change of something like this, you inevitably have to have what, often you call a transition period, because in effect, the two systems have to coexist for some point, uh, for some length of time, so that people who have perhaps started on one route can do that route, and people who start on the other route can start that route. As you said, Liz, the first exams just happened as well. So let's, if we just kind of clarify for people, because I guess some of the listeners will be thinking, okay, so does this mean I need to do the SQE now, or how does this transition transition period work? Um, Liz, should we, should we look at this briefly in the sense of, you know, do people have choices? And if they have a choice, what should they think about? How, how will this transition work or how is it going to work, do you think? OK, thanks, Nigel. So it really depends where you are on your pathway so far. So the cutoff point is the 31st of August 2021. If, as at that point, you hadn't yet started on your journey of legal education, so you haven't yet started on a law degree or a conversion course, then actually you have no choice. You have to go down this new pathway. If at the 31st of August, you had actually started a law degree or you had started a conversion course, then you do have a choice. You can choose either to go down the LPC under training contract pathway, or you can choose to go down the SQE and qualifying work experience route. So you have that choice available to you. I see. Okay, so that's how it works because 
Okay, so that's good. So there is a, there's, a, there's some clarity there. And I think you mentioned there already, if you say so if you haven't done law, as you say, it depends if you've either started law or the conversion course, you said, Liz, didn't you? So that's, that's right. That's how that works in that period. Perfect. Okay. Would it be helpful to just give a little bit of guidance in terms of how you exercise that choice? That would be super. Okay, so if you do have the choice between the RPC and SQE, uh, really, I think there are some advantages and disadvantages for each of them. So we've already seen that the SQE has much more breadth and I think it's going to be a tougher set of assessments than the LPC but you know as Lisa outlined it does give a lot more flexibility so particularly for those people who already have some work experience so there's really some pros and cons there um, to weigh up and I think just to put in the law firm perspective very quickly um, the law firm perspective is that many law firms are just holding back a little bit it's a new set of assessments they take a little bit of time to bed in um, and so many of the law firms who are sponsoring their future trainees um, through courses and assessments um, they are holding back um, for another year or so okay so in and when we say holding back I guess that means that because those students who will have been sponsored will have started before that date you mentioned therefore they're following the in inverted commas the old route are they of the LPC type route for the moment that's correct yeah many of them Got it. Okay, thank you. Um, okay, Liz, so, so that's about the choices people have and the different approaches firms taking. Just one further question. What if people haven't done a law degree? There is no longer a requirement uh, to do a conversion course, um, which there, there, there is currently. You just need to pass the SQE assessments. I say just need to pass, but you do have to remember that the assessment still covers all of the areas of law that are covered in the law degree or the conversion course. You still need to have all of that knowledge and it's still going to be assessed. And from a law firm perspective, most law firms are recognizing that they want their non-law graduates to have that same depth of knowledge as their law graduates so that they really are on a level playing field. So most firms that I'm talking to do want to see that you've got that qualification. I see. Thank you very much, Liz. That's really helpful. Um, Lisa, any, anything, anything to add on that, that uh, sort of transition point or perhaps, you know, Liz has just hinted there at some what she's seen some firms doing. Mm. Um, anything to add there, Lisa? Yeah, well, I'm like um, echo, well, I'm echoing Liz's points there. Um, I'm seeing law firms, I'm certainly seeing the larger law firms favour the prospect of transitioning their cohort over at the same time because of the volume of individuals they're dealing with. But um, music to my ears is the, are the smaller practices, the regional firms, um, those with mainly smaller intakes are showing a much more flexible approach and I'm envisaging we'll run SQE um, and the traditional star training contract in tandem for a few years to give more choice to individuals and flexibility for the firm. That's interesting so as you say different firms are approaching in different ways as, as you said Liz some firms are thinking okay let's just wait and see how this beds down as the um, you know in, in terms of we've got these people who we're sponsoring at the, at the moment. Um, so I guess with these different models, and Lisa, I could come to you first on this, perhaps. Um, how is there a point here about how to decide which one um, might best suit me for if I have I'm going to have a choice? What there, is there any any advice there for our, for our listeners? 
Yes, I'm sure, Nigel. Well, maybe it would be useful if I start by just giving a very quick overview of the three different models which most firms are currently considering. And Liz, please do chip in, as I know you have um, conversations with law firms daily. So there is the front-loaded option, first and foremost, where all learning and SQE 1 and 2 assessments take place prior to the individual's arrival at the firm. So this is the closest to the current regime and one which a number of large city firms are going for in order to prepare their junior talents on the pathway to qualification. But then most people have heard of um, the graduate solicitor apprenticeship, which is, um, is a new arrival where law firms have a choice of either giving their apprentices one day off per week to study for their SQE assessments or they can offer a bulk of the learning up front, as well as the SQE1 assessments with just the SQE2 assessments completed whilst working in the firm. Law firms that already have a track record of um, school leaver solicitor apprentices are favouring this model as they have a culture of apprenticeships within their firms already. But we're also seeing a number of other types of practices um, show interest in this model. So it's going to be really interesting to see how, um, how things develop over the next um, few months and coming years. And then thirdly, there is um, um, the term we're calling the hybrid model of SQE delivery, which is not an apprenticeship, but blends some elements of the front loaded option with some of the elements of the on the job learning approach. So training providers like BPP are proving that they can be extremely flexible and work with law firms to carve out the hybrid model of their choice. And what we tend to do is work with firms to, to, to identify their culture, their personalities, the values that they, they hold dear. And then that often leads us to, um, to helping them select the best model for them to meet their, um, their strategic goals. That's really interesting. So as you say, so lots of different approaches here. So I think for our listeners, again, it's interesting that there's going to be a great deal of variation. So if they identify an employer they're really interested in working for, it's something they really should look for. And perhaps we'll come back to that with the actions at, at the end, but it's, it's, it's an interesting one. Um, Concept of time, but um, Liz, feel free to, to add any points there. But also, Liz, I think we were just going to quickly look at this area of skills as well. I mean, Lisa said how I know at BPP you're evolving a lot of the programmes, you're adding in different little modules and different areas as the, as the legal sector changes as well. So people need to know different things, not just for the exam, but actually to be um, ready to go into their, their workplace. So just anything on skills, Liz, and anything you'd like to, like to add on the, on the different models? Thanks, Nigel. Yeah, and I know that skills is an area that's really close close to your heart, definitely. Um, I think, first of all, just to pick up on the SQE, clearly is very focused um, on a very important set of skills, um, which I talked about before when I was outlining um, the, the content of, of SQE2. But it is absolutely the case as well that many firms um, want their future trainees to have additional knowledge and skills on top of the SQE specification. And uh, larger firms are certainly collaborating with training providers to develop additional programs that make sure that they really are set up um, for life in practice. You know, a couple of examples of those skills that, that go beyond the SQE specification, um, for example, are, you know, collaborative working skills. How are you going to, to work collaboratively in perhaps a multidisciplinary team, perhaps with colleagues or clients who are in different jurisdictions? 
uh, how can you uh, communicate really complex principles very, very clearly um, and really think about what that means for your clients, how you're going to have the resilience to be able to learn from setbacks, which inevitably they're going to be setbacks. How can you reflect on how to do things better? How can you be really open to, uh, to thinking about new ways and more efficient ways of doing things? So there's lots of those additional skills that law firms have identified are really very important for their future lawyers. From, um, from the perspective of, um, of some of our listeners thinking, well, you know, how do we, how do we get some of those skills or you know, what, what, what can we do? I think the key point is really to think about how can you make yourself um, really employable? How can you make your application stand out? What transferable skills um, do you have? Now, some people will be able to expand their skills and their knowledge through um, attending those additional training programs, which are um, certainly um, available. And also think about work experience that you've got where perhaps you've had to demonstrate some of those skills as well. So really thinking about what is it that the, law, the types of law firms that you want to go to, what is it that they're looking for and how can you demonstrate that you have those particular skills that they are looking for? Yeah, and I, that's a great point. Isn't it? And I think just to, just to emphasize to all the listeners, and I think those skills, it doesn't mean you need them from work experience in vacation schemes or in in situations in firms you know think of I always think some of the best stories I've heard in interviews when I've when people have come to interviews when I've been present and heard the stories where they were in customer service roles uh in a, in a restaurant or something like that or or in a in a client facing situation whatever type of employer you may have been working for I mean they're great examples to bring into interviews so you know think broadly and, and all those examples I think sound great so great when you bring them in but that's really interesting this as you say going back to some of the skills that the firm's looking for I'm, I'm really conscious of, of time so we always try and end and wrap up um i know we've had a lot to cover here so i hope i hope the listeners have appreciated this quite a bit of detail here um i suppose just in terms of immediate resources i mean obviously there's the sra's website the solicitor's regulation authority and the website all about sqe and i know both of your websites liz there's loads on the bpp website about the sqe as, as well that you can that, that listeners could go and go and see and we can put that in the show notes. And Lisa on your Amaze um, website as well. So there's lots of stuff we can put in the show notes there. Um, and then just in terms of leaving, leaving our listeners with some actions, um, Liz, if I was to come to you first. So, I mean, there's so much, isn't there? I'm just trying to think back all the things we've spoken about. But what would be, what would be Liz, what would be one of the things you would say in terms of an action that our listeners could take to help The most themselves? important thing is really to do your research. Um, really think about the type of legal career that you want to have. Look at the law firms who practice in those areas of law. Have a look on their website, see what they say. Some law firms are being quite prescriptive as to which um, program of study um, their, their future trainees will do. And as Lisa said before, some are, some are less prescriptive. So if you uh, can do that, that research, you'll certainly have a better idea as to, to which pathway to go down and what those law firms are looking for. Yeah, and I think that's, that's, that really echoes, Liz, that point we spoke about earlier, where we said firms are taking different approaches. So therefore, it really is important you do your research. You said if you're interested in a certain type of firm or a certain type of practice of law. So do the research. Great thought. And Lisa, one action from yourself. What, what, what would you add to, to Liz's thought there? Could I, could I be greedy and give two? Is that allowed? You can give two. You can give two. And then, then that e they even have three bits of advice. Well, um, the first one is just an extension of um, the conversation that you and Liz had. Um, there is so much buzz around O-shaped lawyer skills. 
So either we can put them in the show notes or I urge the listeners to Google O-Shape Lawyer um, because absolutely um, um, being an interviewer, very often we really don't care um, if it's commercial or legal work experience, competency-based examples, any work experience or volunteering or um, examples from your hobbies, interests, academia, all are relevant. So really as a first step, um, Google O-shaped lawyer skills, and that gives a lot of narrative around that. Um, and secondly, just not, don't be afraid to ask questions. Be confident when speaking to firm representatives at um, events, presentations, careers fairs, etc. It's really important that you choose the right firm, which is going to allow you to flourish and develop. And you can only do that by making informed decisions once armed with all of that information. So hopefully that's helpful. No, they're, they're super. Thank you very much, Liz and Lisa. And, and I think on those, on those points, I think I, my sort of extra bit to build on that would say, especially at a time of change, is never, there's never a stupid question or a silly question in a way, because there's so much that's unsure. So many firms are taking different approaches. So ask, ask, ask is, is it's absolutely a, a, a great point, Lisa. So thank you. So there we are. There's our um, there's our there's our views on the on, on the our views and, and hopefully some useful background for you all on the on the SQE. Uh, Liz and Lisa, that's been a real pleasure. Thank you very much for, for your time and for, for coming on today. Thanks, Nigel. Thanks so much. Um, we'll do the show notes, we'll get those actions on there, we'll we'll put those links and those resources, including to the O-shaped lawyer on there, which talks about different lawyer skills for the future. And yeah, thank you to our listeners and will and listening to Reimagine Law on the next episode too. <laughs>